Submission to Guru with this intensity of hearing. And this particular description reminded me, of course, of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who, when he was going to the lectures of Bhaktivedanta, that the other disciples would go out on Parikrama, right? There was some other disciples. But he would stay in here, and Bhaktivedanta would say, I've marked him how he was hearing. And that was what was most pleasing. And imagine being able to take notes on a lecture. So your notes were equal to a tape recorder. You know, of course, people used to do that. I remember that, uh, you know, my father and other uh, managers, they had secretaries who would like write in shorthand and be able to transcribe things in shorthand because in those days, again, they were not uh, tape recorders widely available. But imagine the, the degree of hearing that somebody would have to do. So I felt that it would be very appropriate when remembering uh, such an acharya, such a Vaishnava who is so absorbed in hearing, that we would look at this verse, and of course it's a very uh, famous verse, uh, 552. Of course, this is a verse spoken by. Five, spoken by. Yeah, spoken by <laughs> And this is, uh, we have, if you really listen to the Sanskrit, Mahasevam Dwaram. What is the Dwaram? The door. Mahatseva. So serving the Mahat is the doorway. Avurvimukte to liberation. Right, so the translation, one can attain the path of liberation from material bondage only by rendering service to highly advanced spiritual personalities. These personalities are impersonless and devotees. Whether one wants to merge into the Lord's existence or wants to associate with the personality of Godhead, one should render service to the Mahatmas. For those who are not interested in such activities, who associate with people fond of women and sex, the path to hell is wide open. The Mahatmas are equipoised. They do not see any difference between one living entity and another. They are very peaceful and are fully engaged in devotional service. They are devoid of anger and they work for the benefit of everyone. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. Oh, sorry, one more line to the first. Sorry. They do not behave in any abominable way. Such people are known as Mahatmas. Now the purport. The human body is like a junction. One may either take the path of liberation or the path leading to a hellish condition. How one can take these paths is described herein. On the path of liberation, one associates with Mahatmas, and on the path of bondage, 
one associates with those attached to sense gratification in women. There are two types of Mahatmas, the impersonalist and the devotee. Although their ultimate goal is different, the process of emancipation is almost the same. Both want eternal happiness. One seeks happiness in impersonal Brahman and the other seeks happiness in the association of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. As described in the first verse, Brahma Sokyam, Brahman means spiritual or eternal. Both the impersonalist and the devotee seek eternal blissful life. In any case, it is advised that one become perfect in the words of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Madhya 2287, Asat Sangha Tyaga Sri Sangha Ekas Asadu, Krishna Bhakta Ara. To remain unattached to the modes of material nature, one should avoid associating with those who are asat, materialistic. There are two kinds of materialists. One is attached to women in sense gratification, and the other is simply a non-devotee. On the positive side is association with Mahatmas, and on the negative side is the avoidance of non-devotees and women hunters. One can attain the path of liberation from material bondage only by rendering service to highly advanced spiritual personalities. These personalities are impersonalists and devotees. Whether one wants to merge into the Lord's existence or wants to associate with the personality of Godhead, one should render service to the Mahatmas. For those who are not interested in such activities, who associate with people fond of women and sex, the path to hell is wide open. The Mahatmas are equipoised. They do not see any difference between one living entity and another. They are very peaceful and are fully engaged in devotional service. They are devoid of anger and they work for the benefit of everyone. They do not behave in any abominable way. Such people are known as Mahatmas. So I really like this idea of the doors. I remember when I was a kid, there used to be game shows on TV, maybe there still are shows like this, where there were doors. Do you want what's behind door number one or door number two? Which door are you going to take? Where are you going to go? And Prabhupada says in the first sentence of this purport that human life is like a junction, that the human life is particularly a life of choice. Which path are we going to take? You know, when we're when a person is lost, if you're trying to go somewhere and you're lost, you don't really need a solution. What you need is you need a direction and time, isn't it? I mean, generally we think about our problems in life, our difficulties, our struggles, and we think, what I need is a solution. I have a, a problem and I need a solution. But the real fact is that what we need is a direction. If we're going in the right direction, if we go through the right door, we go on the right path, we will achieve what we want. That's actually what you need. If someone's lost, it's not that you need exactly a solution. You just need a map. You understand? How do you fix being lost? You have to go in the right way. There's a very famous story by Samuel Johnson, a very famous American writer, of the analogy of human life. How you start out, you know, and it's the beautiful day, and you're going on the path, and 
you're going to your destination and then you get distracted and you see, oh, there's some beautiful flowers over there, there's some this over there. It looks like there's a parallel path and I can go on the parallel path and I, I can still see the main path and pretty soon you're lost in the forest. And then there's a storm. And you're thinking, what will I do if I try to retrace my steps? It'll be the nighttime. It's too late to retrace my steps. What will I do? And then the, the person journeying sees a light. And they go to the light and they find a little cabin. And there they find a person who says, ah, here's the right path. And this is how you go. So that's actually what we need in life. I think that most human beings find that there is a disconnect between our intentions and our actions. There's the famous saying, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. And we often think that intentions are enough. We were just reading this verse this morning, Sat Sankalpa, how Guru Maharaj had his Sat Sankalpa Di Mata. Di is fixed, Mata. He was fixed, his mind, his consciousness was fixed on a truthful sankalpa, a truthful goal. Now, if he just had such sankalpa, if he just had a truthful desire, but he wasn't fixed on the path to achieving that desire, it doesn't actually do you any good. Just like in the mode of ignorance, there is determination in the mode of ignorance. Anybody remember? Just dreaming. You know, just dreaming. I hope he's not going to get mad at me. But anyway, so my other grandson, Vikram uh, Masika Shaker, so he's, he says he has an exam tomorrow in political science. So he went out with a friend. When are you going to study for your exam? When I get back. But I don't have the book to study because they're all out of the bookshop. So before I left, I knocked on his door. I come in. He's definitely not studying for his exam. No book. No book. And I said, what are you doing to study for your exam? Well, I don't have the book. I already knew you didn't have the book. So what are you doing to study? I don't know. Can you find something? May I maybe have to find it online. The exam's tomorrow. He tries to find it online. Did you, did you find it? I don't know. It's about the Constitution. I said, why don't you do a search on another tab? You know, we'll do a search, U.S. Constitution. I said, when I come back, I want to see your study notes for your exam. So he had good intentions. Yes, yesterday he said, I'm going to study for my exam. This morning he said, I'm going to study for my exam. I'm going to go out when I come back, I'm going to study for my exam. Good intentions. Definitely good. He has a desire. He definitely has a desire. If you say, do you want to pass your exam? Do you want to get a good grade? I definitely do. He has a good goal. But what door is he going through? You understand? And this is our, our general problem. This is our general problem. I have a desire. I have some desire. If we have any desire to attain Christian consciousness, what would we be doing here? I have some desire. I have a goal. I have a sankalpa. You start off, you know, I'm going to chant my rounds. I'm going to chant my rounds with focus. And I'm going to meditate on the sound of Krishna's name and meditate on Krishna and I'm just going to be absorbed, completely absorbed and I'm going to forget everything in the material world and you know, ten minutes later we're like, huh? You know, I'm going to be nice to people today I'm not going to get angry with anything about the sorrows, I don't get angry with 
to see it in equally and then be kind. We have all these intentions and then our actions, we're going down a different path. And then when we go down a different path, we get different results, naturally. You get the result of the path you go on, not the result of your intentions. And then when we get the other results, we get angry at God. Why am I suffering? Why is everything so hard? And we think about life in, life in terms of events, but really life is about steps on a path. Every choice we make, everything we do, is taking steps on a particular path, going through a particular doorway. What door, what door are we going through? So we could say, in one sense, it, it would be factual to say, that there are as, as many paths as there are individuals. We could say that. Each of us has an individual journey. Whether we're a materialist, spiritualist, whether we're personalist, impersonalist, each of us has an individual journey. That, that, that's a fact. No two jivas are going to have exactly the same journey. But here for simplicity, it's divided into two. That, that's, that's very simplistic. Because even divided into two for the Mahatmas, Shri Prabhupada in his translation and what he's talking about, that could be an impersonalist even. So even on the spiritual path, we might be talking about a Mahatma who's an impersonalist. And on the material path, we know there's three modes of nature, right? So many different varieties on the material path. And, so many, and then even on the spiritual path, even if you're following a personalist, some of the personalists are worshipping Narayana, some are worshipping Namachandra, some are worshipping... Dorkadis Krishna, someone worshipping Vajkumar. So, and then those are worshipping Vajkumar. Some are in Sakyabhav, some are in Vatsalibhav, some are in Magulibhav. So there's so many. But for the sake of understanding here, Rishabh David just said, there's two paths. There's two paths. One is the path of sensuality, of pleasuring this body. Pleasuring the body, the mind, the ego. And one is the path of service to the Mahatmas. Here are those two paths. And we could say, in fact, one is the path of intelligence. And one is the path of just immediate pleasure. And if we think about what derails a person, it is going for some immediate pleasure rather than long-term benefit. Isn't it? Whatever it may be, you know, if you're trying to lose weight and you eat that chocolate cake in the refrigerator, if it's something that simple, you know, or you, you really want to chant good rounds, but you don't even go to bed until 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, that's the time to, <laughs> time to wake up and go to bed. So why do we do that? Why are we picking at those actions which are putting us on the wrong path? Because we're thinking, oh, this is making me happy right now. It's giving me some pleasure right now, rather than looking for truth. Now what's particularly significant here with that Rashad is saying is that this path is not exactly just actions. It's not just what you do. It's with whom you associate. Really, the difference in the past, the difference in our decisions is personal. If we choose to associate with materialistic people who are interested in enjoying the world, 
And of course, in 2017, we may really object to the categorization of enjoying the world as woman, and which is, of course, Yoshit, Yoshit Sangha, associated with women. So we can understand this in a general way that the whole material energy is myavating. When you're trying to enjoy the material world, you're trying to enjoy property. One is trying to take the role. Oh, thank you so much. One is trying to take the role of Purusha. One is trying to take Krishna's role and trying to enjoy property. Whether we do that, you know, ostensibly in a male body or a female body or whatever is not that doesn't change what we're essentially trying to do. We're essentially trying to become the lord of Maya. We're trying to amass these six opulences, which ultimately, of course, Ishimati Radhavani, Lakshmi Devi, so forth. But as soon as we try to enjoy the six opulences, as soon as we try to enjoy Sri, she becomes Durga. So in one sense, this door of this person is the woman Maya, but even uh, in ordinary life, a woman generally, a form of woman generally epitomizes or symbolizes materialistic life. Isn't it a fact? If they want to advertise, I mean, what does a car have to do with a beautiful woman? Or a washing machine? Or, or something? You know, what, what do these things have to do with some, you know, beautiful woman wearing a bikini? Absolutely nothing. You know, I, I've never experienced that somebody gets behind the wheel of a car and all of a sudden there's a beautiful woman in a bikini sitting next to them. So there's no relationship. But that's used in order to say, if you get this car, you get this washing machine, you get this toothpaste, you get this insurance policy, whatever, then you will become the lord of Maya, and you will become an enjoyer. And that's epitomized, uh, particularly by, by women, or by men and women enjoying together. Uh, of course, nowadays that can be used. Uh, there are varieties on that. We're not going to discuss but so that idea that this person, you know, I'm going for the person of Maya as represented as Maya in general, or represented just as a woman of sexuality and being the master of the world. And the other person is the Mahatma. And I really like the description here. You know, the Mahatma is described in different ways, in different places. Of course, Arjuna asks Krishna. You know, how do I know great personality? How do they speak? What is their language? How do they sit? How do they walk? And he asks in the 14th chapter, what are the symptoms of one who's transcended the most material nature? 12th chapter, verses 13 through 20, Krishna also gives a description of those who are very dear to him. The 26 qualities of the devotee given by Loki Pilade, I repeat, also by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Dusanatanda Swami. So there's many places where we find the qualities of uh, Bhagavad Gita chapter 13, text 8 through 12, uh, chapter 16, Bhagavad Gita text 1 through 3. So there's a number of places where we're going to find the qualities of a devotee, the qualities of a hatma. And these qualities are given both so we have a benchmark for ourselves, you know, and like, like Sri Prabhupada would often say, you don't need to ask someone else if you're making advancement. Like you don't need to ask someone else, did I eat enough? Do I need another portion of rice, or do I need it? And you can tell yourself if you're full, unless you have some kind of disease. And some people have a disease, they don't know when you're full. And also so we can have some way of ascertaining what door I'm walking through. With whom do I want to associate? So what's explained here 
is their equal poised. So this being equal poised is especially in Bhagavad Gita 12, 13 through 20. Krishna's listing all the areas in which one should be equal poised, happiness and distress, honor and dishonor, heat and cold, friends, enemies, neutral, right, auspicious, inauspicious, and so forth. Do not see any difference between one living entity and another. Uh, that doesn't mean, of course, that one invites, you know, dogs into your living room to feed them. Uh, it doesn't doesn't mean like that. It doesn't mean you ask your two-year-old to drive your car. It, 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 it doesn't mean like that. But it means uh, turn out a piece and you know, to worry about. Just like you were saying, right, that my who offers respects to everyone. He didn't see in terms of this, no, this is, that's my junior. Also, one of the signs of the Mahatma is they really see that I am the servant of everyone. Everyone is, everyone is my Prabhu. Not just that we use the word Prabhu as some sort of identity marker, you know, like the Quakers, they call everybody friends, and some Christian groups, they call everybody brother and sister. So, you know, how do you know? How do you know what, what particular religious group you're a member of? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It just becomes some, some like code word that you just, oh, Prabhu, whatever, you know, oh, I know what group you're in. It's not like that. It's meant to be, I'm, I'm your servant. And that's not just something we sign our letters with. You know, like I have this little thing on my email that I just click one button and it automatically says, please accept my obeisance, use your servant. And then you have to type it in. And so it's not just like something like that, but it's this, this mood, I'm, I'm your servant. So it's another quality of the Mahatma. They don't distinguish. They see that every everyone, you know, we have some idea of that. Like in America, we say, you know, everyone is equal under the law and so forth. Very peaceful. Now, of course, this peacefulness, we find, you know, Hanuman didn't seem to be peaceful <laughs> when he was burning down the uncover and doing it in But inwardly, they're peaceful because they have nothing to achieve for themselves. Fully engaged in devotional service. Without motivation, without interruption. Devoid of anger. Again, we may see Hanuman appears to be angry. Bhima appears to be angry. But it's not material anger, it's anger and frustration at the fulfillment of our sense gratification. So not angry. It's a loving anger. It's a loving anger. If someone you love is about to get hit by a car, you may say, hey, move out of the way. <laughs> but that's not anger from frustration. Work for the benefit of everyone. So generally we work for our benefit and the benefit of our allies and the destruction of our enemies and we're, we don't care about the neutrals, right? We're working for everyone's benefit. Do not behave in any abominable way. So therefore we take these vows, no illicit sex, no meeting, no intoxication, no gambling. And there's the list of items right, that Bhishma is giving. But one should not lie, one should not cheat, one should not have children except by one's spouse. So these are some of the qualities by which we can judge who's a Mahatma. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to associate with Mahatmas and anybody from India who wears robes and you know, has a beard, that's, that's Mahatma. There was, when I was teaching sociology of religion, 
uh, there was one film that we that we watched in part of the the course called Kumari. It was about this American-born Indian man who did a social experiment. Have you seen it? Heavy, And he artificially adopted an Indian accent, and he spent some time in India studying the mannerisms of sadhus. And he came back to America and pretended he was just some ordinary. American Joe Schmo, who happened to have an Indian body, and it's just like living in New York and getting a job, and he wasn't a spiritual person at all. And he pretended to be a guru. And he went to different yoga centers, and he pre preached a completely made-up philosophy, completely made-up asanas and meditations, totally concocted, made up a lineage, made up a city in India where he was from. And just because you know, he had dark skin and a beard and he wore saffron robes and he carried a rod. He even made up this, the rod he carried. He even concocted a symbol to put on the top of it. And he made disciples. And people followed him. And it was, it was really heavy. And after a while, he felt so guilty about the whole thing that like a year later, he, he did a reveal and a lot of the people were very angry. Really, you know, he said, sorry, this was a sociological experiment. So these lists of Mahatmas is there, so we don't just become bewildered by something. You know, or just somebody who can go, oh, I am so peaceful. Yeah, so we don't become bewildered by that kind of thing. Or so many of the modern um, pseudo-spiritual things which are really in the category this the sociologist would call magic. You know, if you just meditate like this, you just pray like this, you just think like this, you'll become rich, you'll become famous, you'll get all your material desires fulfilled, all this kite of the time. So that we can distinguish. Because you've got to be able to tell what's the door and what's not the door. Many times the Mahatmas look like, many times they look like materialists even. They happen with them. Um, uh, Pundari Vidyanidhi, think about how Pandit thought. He's a materialist. And many times the materialists look like the spirituals. How are we going to tell? When we say Yoshit Sangha, that doesn't mean that Mahatma can't be married. Bhakti Vinata Kuli was married with so many children. It doesn't mean, in fact, as the Mahajanas, most of them are married. So how does one distinguish? One distinguishes through these qualities. And then what do we have to do with the Mahatmas? We have to find the Mahatma to whom we can actually surrender. And you, what you were reading, how in the modern time, this is so hard, right? None of us basically want to surrender to anybody. I'll be speaking for myself. We might want to make a show where you hear often, don't keep a guru as a pet. And when I would first hear that, I'm like, why, why are you hearing that? Who keeps a guru as a pet? But it's very common. Well, here's just my, you know, I got my name, I got my beads, here's the photograph, but then I do whatever I want. You know, I'm submissive to my guru as long as my guru doesn't correct me or give me an instruction I don't like. Is it? So somebody to whom we can actually surrender, to whom we can trust. That doesn't mean that we do blind following. It doesn't mean that we're, that we're fools. We have to distinguish who's a Mahatma. But once we distinguish who's a Mahatma, 
then we have to let go. And we have to trust. Now, here's what's really interesting. Here's what's really, really interesting. Letting go and trust and surrender does not mean abrogating our personality. Now, this is going to be very, 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 very radical. And I was just, in the last week, getting some little tiny appreciation of this and some little tiny appreciation of the wonderful philosophy that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching to all of his devotees. So in Goloka Vrindavan, does everybody agree on it, how to serve Krishna? Rupa Goswami talks about how some of the counter boys please Krishna by being argumentative and some of them please Krishna by speaking very sweetly. And for sure, the argumentative Calvert boys, they're thinking, what's wrong with those guys? Don't they know how to please Krishna? And the sweet-speaking boy, what's wrong with those? Why are they arguing with Krishna so much? I mean, we know Rupa Goswami in his Ujjala Leo Money describes this with the groups of gopis. And my dear friends, my dear Vaishnavas, that's eternal. The different coward boys, the different gopis, I'm sure even the different cows. They, each jiva is convinced the way I'm pleasing Krishna is the best. And this other, they don't really know how to please Krishna so much. They're not doing it quite right. They actually don't agree. But there's no envy. And there's full and complete and total respect. I feel I can only surrender to someone and I can only respect them and I can only give myself to them if I fully totally agree with but how can I fully totally agree with any other jiva? Is that possible? In fact there's a letter Papa wrote where he said difference of opinion means that we're all persons. As, as an individual jiva, I'm always going to have to some extent my own opinion about how to please Krishna. And as we advance in Krishna consciousness, is that going to increase or decrease? It's going to increase. It's going to get more honed, more fine-tuned, more refined as my spiritual mood awakens, as my swarup awakens, as my relationship with Krishna awakens. My own feelings and opinions about how to serve the Lord are going to become more and more and more and more and more individual. And there's never going to be full, absolute, 100% agreement. You even have Lalita and Radharani, you know, Lalita saying, you've got to keep arguing. You know, the Vishak saying, no, you've got to surrender. Yes? Am I correct? Even at that level, they have different opinions. And they actually have different opinions. Please understand, they actually have different opinions. So it is possible to fully surrender fully submit, fully trust, and remain an individual. How exactly? I don't know. I'm just a beginner in Krishna. I'm just looking at the ocean from far away. But at least we can understand that this is what it means. To go through that door, if we want to have a live a life of integrity, if we're struggling 
between our intentions and our path, to a small extent or to a large extent. We have to go through Mahatsevam Dwaravadikas. We have to go through this door of the Mahatmas with full, absolute, total humility and trust, which does not in any way whatsoever negate our individuality. That we keep our individuality, in fact, our individuality blossoms and develops more, and yet at the same time, it's absolute and full surrender. It's not absolute and full surrender in the personal way. It's in a very personal way. And this is this is exemplified by like you know, just hearing to be able to sit at the feet of your guru and, and hear every word as if you're a tape recorder and then assimilate that and be able to write that into an article of your own understanding. And that is the, the perfect exemplification of this principle. To hear from our, not only just from our guru, but from all the Mahatmas. In such a way that we fully hear with rapt attention and yet we assimilate and we under, understand and we put into action as an So thank you so much for inviting me to speak and giving me the opportunity to purify myself. So we have a few minutes and anybody has a question or comment? Yes? Uh, I was just thinking that um, one way we can understand that we are becoming more of an individual is that uh, by association with Mahatmas, we become purified of false ego. Mm. And then the true ego is gradually removed. Yes. So I, we're very happy if they can help us give up the false identification because there's no way we can understand our true identification if we're still acting on the false ego. Yes. So we will gradually become the individual that we truly are. Yes. Our attachment to our false ego is a real problem. I like that. You said also that they, they have disagreements, but there's no envy. No envy, no disrespect. So that's another symptom that we may disagree. You know, there's unity and diversity. We may disagree with someone, but I'm not mad at you. Not only may we, do, we will. We will. Not, not that we may. It's, it's, we absolutely will. As with a, with a personal philosophy, it is guaranteed that in some area we will think differently. We must. If each of us, if each of us is unique, we must have some area where we have our own particular flavor. Yes. Um, in our Islam society, we see that there is tension and disagreement. And so Prabhupada said, your love for me will be shown by how you cooperate. So does cooperation mean accepting something that you feel very vehemently that is incorrect? Oh, that's a very good question. Does cooperation mean you have to accept things that you vehemently feel is incorrect? We really have to be able to distinguish, and this requires some advancement, purification, and guidance between things that are really evil and deviant and things that are spiritual disagreements. And then how does one make the point that 
There's not really an answer for that other than maturity, unfortunately. Because we're, we're going to have a tendency as conditioned souls to believe that whatever I think is moral and ethical and spiritual is. That my opinion is truth, my way of seeing things is truth. And, and pretty much everyone thinks like that. So some humility, at the same time we want to distinguish that there's something out and out evil. You follow? There's something out and out evil and deviant, but we've got to distinguish what's something evil or what's something deviant for what's simply a manifestation of personality. You're saying it goes on. You've got to figure out what the it is. For, for just as a simple example about spiritual differences. So, for example, one person may feel, well, really, the way we're going to spread Krishna consciousness is we're going to live on a farm, we're going to just, you know, wear wooden shoes and get our water from a well, and anybody going to university and anybody driving a car is deviant. And then you have somebody else who says, no, the way we're going to spread Krishna consciousness is we're going to become famous people in theater and music and politics and we're going to go into the society and, and work that way. So some difference like that, and you'll see the people with those two points of view. Let's separate ourselves from the society, cloister ourselves, live practically like an Amish lifestyle, and then you have the people like, no, let's, let's integrate with the world. And you'll find that often people in those two groups will think the other ones are totally deviant. And they'll, they'll be attacking each other. In, in, in my opinion, that's simply a manifestation of individuality and personality. Why? Because the, the instructions of our acharyas encompass both of those. The instruction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu encompasses both of those. In his instructions to Gopinath Patanayaka, he's saying, I want renunciates and I want householders, I want people working in the world. So, you have to see that. This is a difference in personality, this is a difference in. But the desire is to serve Guru and Krishna. The desire is for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. Now, if we start seeing somebody saying, you know, you can become a lot more Krishna conscious if you smoke marijuana or take LSD then we can understand that that's actually deviant. Why can we understand it's deviant? Well, Udi Goswami talks about not taking intoxicants. Srila Prabhupada talks about not taking intoxicants. Do you follow what I'm saying? And we don't find any place where any of our acharyas say that intoxicants are going to help with spiritual life. That, that's not anywhere. So the, the, the way we just, how do we distinguish between differences that are, that are within the purview of the instructions of the Acharyas and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Krishna and just this infinite variety of differences that are within that purview and things that are actually deviations. So that there's no alternative but to say it requires maturity. 
and it requires realization. And I, I love that letter where Gottman wrote, it was in a different context, he wrote, this requires some common sense, and if you don't have any, and you ask someone who does. You know, or, or we told we time, this requires intelligence. And I would say for, for ordinary people like me, it, it's a good idea to, to first start off with some humility and say, let me see, let me not automatically assume that someone who disagrees with me is a deviant, rascal, you know, demon, snake, envious person going to hell just because they see things differently than I do. Let me not assume that the way I see things is the absolute truth. Let me start off with that assumption. And, and from starting off with that assumption that maybe I don't know, I personally found I'm in a much better position to discriminate between something that's actually off and something that's just different mood and different personality. Now what do you do if something's actually off and you're convinced it's actually off? You know the answer that. You first try to go to the person if you have that relationship and you try to rectify them if you have that relationship. If you don't have that relationship, you go to their authority. You want it. If that doesn't work, you go to their authority and up and up and up. And if nobody does anything like that, you go to God. You die. 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 You Yes. So you were talking about uh, surrender, and that at a certain point we have to have trust in Guru. Yes. Um, we see so much, uh, so many people surrendering to um, what to say of not pure devotees, because that's fine if you you know pick a guru that's not a pure devotee or whatnot. But um, there's also a lot of uh, bogus gurus out there and whatnot. Mm. So, and we see that people uh, that are entering and taking initiation, for the most part, are probably Kanishta or even pre-Kanishta. Mm. So, is there anything? Uh, is this just inevitable that that these people are going to? Uh, because it may be a reflection of things they like to see, like you were talking about that movie, and they really liked his attitude and his peaceful nature. Right. I so. Is, I just wanted to get your opinion on kind of... Some of it is definitely inevitable. I don't believe, especially in Kali, that we're ever going to have a situation where everybody makes the right choices. I, I just don't believe it. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but we have education. I mean, our business is education. We're talking about Rathisanthasar's fight. What was he emphasizing? Books. Education, books, you know, printing, books. Of course, nowadays, uh, we have so many more media people who are not actually reading books as much. And so I, I'm sure now, just like Jilabhati Santasir's body, he also wanted the Dalai Lama's. Probably was into theater as well. I mean, so many different media. But somehow to educate and train people, these are the qualities you're looking for. This is what a Mahatma is. If you want to help people find a qualified guru, they've got to know what a qualified guru is. And a lot of our purpose in printing 
distributing books and as I say, other media. Now it's, you know, make videos, put them on YouTube. And so many things, so many different media that we can communicate with. Is so people will know, what, what am I looking for? How do I actually judge? What's the criteria? And then we might say, well, if you're really a unified, how are you going to know? You can easily be fooled. And I don't know, I, when, when Krishna says, Tagadin Pranipratina Paribhashana Sayyaya Pradakshanti Tadayana Dhanayas Tapradashana, when he's giving this instruction, you have to find the Mahatma. I, I don't find that there's some kind of caveat that you yourself have to be a Mahatma before you can find one. It's, not, it's just not what I find. You know, when I read these instructions from Rishabdev, from Krishna, they're speaking to everyone. So that convinces me that it must be possible for a pre-Kanista, Kanista to find a genuine Mahatma. It must be possible. How exactly is it possible? We say by the grace of Krishna one gets Guru, by the grace of Guru one gets Krishna. It must be possible. How exactly when we talk about vague things like sincerity, <laughs> you know, honesty and things like that that are, that are a little hard to quantify and define. But that's what it comes down to. There, there's, there's no way to get around it. There, there's not... If we really want to find the truth, we will be led to Mahatmas. And all the scriptures, all the acharyas, they're speaking to ordinary persons. Find the Guru, find the Mahatma. They don't say, you know, too political. They just say you can find one. You don't have to go through some kind of bureaucratic process, what you say. At the same time, yeah, there's going to be bogus gurus, there's going to be cheaters, there's going to be cheated. Yeah, of course. You can't. Yeah? Yeah? Um, I remember reading, um, I had a Shaka copy, and I don't have it anymore, but the commentary by Sri Mm. And he said it's necessary that he's talking for ordinary people that they live near and closely examine for at least a year. Yes. Well, that is in the hard life to go Yeah, the um, behavior. If if you if you do that, then you'll see pretty much if you're attentive, if the person is a cheater, a liar, a debauchee. So those ordinary qualifications for a neophyte pretty much come first. What is the behavior of that person? Thank you for saying that. Moral behavior of the person. Start with that. Yeah, and, 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 and a large... Like here, he, does, he doesn't do anything abominable. The Mahatma doesn't do anything abominable. And that's huge for an ordinary person. That's what you want. You want to put your faith in somebody that is pure. Yes, yes, this idea of examining for a year. You know. It says often, live with the Guru for you. That doesn't mean you have to live in the same room. But the idea is that you live near, and you can observe them on a regular... There's some regular observation going on. Regular hearing, regular observation. That's not absolute, just like we were seeing in that movie about Sri Prabhupada, how Sri Prabhupada went to the former Soviet Union. He was only there for three days. 
Shama Sundar met these two young men at the market or something. Brought them back. One, I think, was the son of the Indian ambassador. This other one was Ananta Shanti. And Prabhupada preached to Ananta Shanti for three days in Moscow. And then initiated him in a hotel room. What a, what, a, what a great soul. And then the purity of Srila Prabhupada was also came through through his books, which they started yes. getting translated and brought into the culture. So there's different ways to get to know the spiritual master, but you have to do an intense study. Yes, and, and particularly one has to be careful, like Srila Prabhupada gives an example of blind following, that, oh, 10,000 people are becoming this person's disciple in you know, what we call bandwagon. Every, everybody's doing it, it must be good. Well, everybody does a whole lot of things. So, you know, just to get swept up. Like this person has, you know, an institutional imprimatur or something like that. Or, you know. Yes, and then There's I need to stop. I, I can't remember what scripture it says it. It says when the disciple is qualified, then they Absolutely, the disciple also also has to be qualified. In fact, the guru not only is the disciple testing the guru, the guru also is also testing the disciple. Uh, definitely, that's also going on. And in fact, the gurus enjoy don't accept unqualified disciples. You know, make sure that you're. You know, that's that, one way of knowing that they're not qualified. Is that they don't test? Yeah. That's that's a good point. You know, just like whatever, but. Is, the, is there some is, the, is there some entrance exam in a sense? You know, is there, so that also has to be there. Not like these people who just say, "I'll oh, pay me two hundred dollars and I'll give you a mantra." As long as you pay me two hundred dollars, I'll give you a mantra. But no, you've got to know what it is. You've got to know what it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.